praise God. I think you're going to be blessed by the word of God today. I just feel in my spirit. God has been a good God. Uh, the title of the message today, and we'll, we'll, go in, we'll go into it. Let's pray. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you for your time. Thank you for bringing your people here, Lord. Father, you know that you ordain each one's path. You ordain everyone's fellowship, oh Master Lord. You bring us in paths of the people that we are fellowship with because they are a blessing to us, O oh Master. And I thank you, Lord, because you have joined us together as a family, O oh Master. Father, I thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your power that keeps us, that has kept us during this year. Thank you, Lord, for your anointing that has taught us. But your word says that no one needs to teach each other because they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. But yet, O oh Lord, you have blessed us with teachers, evangelists, Lord, helps in the ministry so that we will edify each other, O oh Lord. And we thank you for the blessing of the body of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that your anointing will rest upon this word, O oh Lord. Speak to us, O oh Master, and upon the performances, on everything, O oh Lord. Let there be a time of building each other up for the good things that God is going to do in our lives in this coming year. We thank you. We are expectant, O oh Lord. For God, you are a good God. Not even before things happen, you prophesied, O oh Lord. And we say yes and amen in faith, O oh Lord, for the good things that you're bringing into our lives. We worship you, we thank you. Equip us this evening time. Reveal to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. The title of the message is Abba Father Christmas. The Abba Father Christmas. Uh, I know many times Christmas is the time that we, we, we focus on the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, and rightfully so, right? Because Christ was born into the world. He came for us. Without Christmas, the life, our world would have been absolutely futile. We would all be alive and dead and separated from the presence of God. But God is showing something very unique in these last days. And we are talking about the heart of Jesus himself. What was the heart of Jesus? What is the purpose of Jesus coming into the world? We all know that he came to save us from sin. But is that the purpose that Jesus came, right? It's interesting. Let's now listen, read from the scriptures, from prophecy, and let's read from Jesus' own testimony on why he came and what he came for, right? Are we ready? I think it will open up your eyes in something very different. The Abba Father Christmas. The Abba Father Christmas. Something that will uh, reveal light into our understanding on what are we called to live. Let's go to Luke chapter 1. I mean, if you're going to do the Christmas story, you have to go to the Gospel of Luke, right? I mean, there is no other Gospel that brings out the Christmas story so beautifully as the book of Luke. Let's go to the book of Luke quickly. So, so I'm going to go through a couple of scriptures, a little back and forth in the Old Testament, but I'm going to, I want you to bear with me, because there is a, there is a core message that is coming out from this with the, the, the message of Christmas. Now, remember, that, remember how the Christmas story starts in Luke. You remember how it starts? It starts really with Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? And with the birth of John. That's how the Christmas story starts. Very interesting. It starts with Zechariah, Elizabeth, and John. Because God is preparing his prophet before the Messiah comes, right? Just as all the Old Testament prophets have said, God is going to send a prophet to declare the word. That's how he starts. Have you realized that the word Zechariah means 
Sakad means remember in Hebrew. Yah means Yahweh. Yahweh is the covenant name of God, right? God in the Old Testament is called Elohim, El. The word El, Elohim, let us make God. All, every time you see the word G-O-D in a New King James Version, it means Elohim. Every time you see the word L-O-R-D, it is in the Hebrew, they have translated it from Yahweh, the covenant God. So God was known as God to the world. But to Israel, he was known as the God who made a covenant. Say covenant. So it was a covenant, Yahweh. So whenever you see the word Lord in your Bible, remember, it's, hold it. He's not being personal. He's talking about a covenant God. But when you see God, it is to the Gentile nation. A God, a consuming fire. Do you get that? So G-O-D, God. Elohim. Yahweh is a covenant God. That means you are my God. It was not available for the rest of the nations. It was only available for Israel. And through Christ, it has been available to us. Therefore, in the New Testament, you see the Lord Jesus Christ. See? It completes. Because Jesus became the manifestation of that covenant God that was hidden in the Old Covenant. So in the Old Testament, you see Jesus, but it is as L-O-R-D, L-O-R-D, L-O-R-D. It was not revealed, but he was there in right from the beginning. L-O-R-D, L-O-R-D is Yahweh. That means the covenant God in Jesus. Hidden in the old, but revealed in the new. Got it? So Zechariah means God. Zakar means remember. Zechariah, Yah means? Yah means? Lord. Yahweh. Say Yahweh. Yahweh means Lord. So Zakar means remember. Yahweh means Lord. Zechariah means? Remember the Lord? No, in the Hebrew it is from left to right. So it will be, the Lord remembers. Say the Lord remembers. Lord remembers. Okay, now comes Eli Shabbat. Eli means? Eli means? Elohim. Remember? I, I just told you. This G-O-D. Elohim. So Eli means what? Elohim. Right? Short form of Eli. Elohim is Eli. Eli Shabbat. Shabbat means what? The Lord who swears an oath. Say, oath. Oath. So, Eli Shabbat means? The Lord swore an oath. Correct? So, you got it? So, Lord, Zechariah means God remembers. Eli Shabbat means God made an oath. Correct? So, Zechariah and Eli Shabbat means what together? The Lord remembers his oath that he has made. Got it? So when they come together, God, what comes out of them? What comes out of them? So Elizabeth and Zechariah came together and we know the Christmas story. Who came? John. John in Hebrew, the word is what? Yohanan. Yohanan means Yahweh is Hanan. Hanan means Yahweh is gracious. So when God brought Elishabeth and Zechariah together, look at the whole thing, the family. What does it mean? God remembers his covenant with man that he will be gracious. See the picture? So that is the fulfillment of the promise that gracious in what way? Gracious. That means he will forgive your sins and not hold it against you. He's gracious in bringing his savior into the world. You see? 
Elizabeth, Zechariah, Johanna. It's a preparation of God is remembering that I have kept a covenant with my, with whom did he keep the covenant? With Abraham. That I am going to be gracious, irrespective of your sins, irrespective of your performance. I'm going to be gracious in, in a future date. And I'm going to bring, and Yohanan is, God is gracious. God is gracious. And who gave the name Yohanan? The angel. Right? That means God had a plan. And God is gracious. You know what I mean? Now let's read the prophecy that Zechariah got of, of, of Jesus' birth. This is powerful. This will blow your mind. If you've never seen the prophecy of Christmas, in Zechariah's prophecy, you should read it. Because it tells you the purpose of Christmas. Right? Let's look at it. Let's go to Zechariah, Luke chapter 1, verse 67. Now this was after the angel appeared before Zechariah and uh, Zechariah knew that they were going to have a baby and then they, Elizabeth gave a had a baby and immediately his mouth, remember he was dumb for a season because he didn't believe that God is able to do that and, and when the baby was born they said what shall we call his name and they all thought of naming him after his father or something and he said he wrote on a tablet saying his name shall be wrote on a tablet that his name shall be Johanna it's interesting right when God wrote on the tablet the first time, He wrote about your accusation against you. When God wrote it second time, He said, I'm going to be gracious. That itself shows that there's a covenant change that is happening. Right? It's a covenant of change. A covenant of, not of the law, of accusation against you, but a covenant of, I'm going to be gracious. And that's how His mouth got loosened. That means, for the first time, God is now going to be gracious. That means, even gracious to Zechariah, who did not believe. So it starts with him. Did he receive mercy? When he declared that God is going to be gracious, what happened to his mouth? His sins were not remembered. It started with him. See, suddenly there is a change in the covenant that has happened. And then, guess what? Zechariah got filled with the Holy Spirit. You're talking about an unbelieving man who does not believe. But God said, I consider him righteous. And then he says, he's, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to listen to this prophecy quickly. You don't have too much time, but I want you to stay with me and listen to it. You, this will see your perspective on the gospel story. Right? Let's look at it. Blessed, now Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied, saying, now he's prophesying about this coming of Jesus. Because Jesus is still not born. Jesus is three months younger to John. So John is just born. So Jesus is still in Mary's womb. How old is he? Ladies. John is just born. Jesus is three months younger. Six months. So Jesus is now six months. There's three more months before Jesus is going to be born. And Zechariah is prophesying this birth of the Messiah. Now listen to this. Blessed is the Lord God. Yahweh Elohim. Talking about the covenant God. Lord God of Israel. For he has visited. Because Jesus has already come into the womb. He has visited and redeemed his people. Amen. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us. That means he has raised up a horn. Salvation is going to come upon this world. Because they have been looking for salvation. A deliverer for long. But never came. He said he raised up a horn of salvation for us. Salvation is Yeshua. Means God is salvation. In the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. Who from since the world began. 
what was prophesied from the world began that we should be saved from our enemies say saved from our enemies that's a prophecy since the world began which prophecy happened when the world began that we'll be saved from our enemies can somebody tell me when the world began there was a prophecy that we will be saved from our enemies in the garden of eden when jesus told the serpent that the woman's seed will crush your head and you shall bruise that that was a prophecy the world began with a prophecy of this enemy will not stay so he said that that fulfillment only happened when jesus came never happened before all of history but he said this prophecy that you will be saved from your enemies is going to happen right now since the world began listen to this and from the hand of all those who hate us to perform now listen to this just look at this verse 71 that we should be saved from our enemies from the hand of all those who hate us verse 72 in this next three verses the purpose of jesus coming is declared number 1 to perform the mercy promised to our fathers remember god remembers to perform he remembers the mercy mercy god is going to be gracious he's going to perform this mercy that is promised to his fathers right then to remember his covenant remember god is going to remember the covenant he's not forgotten you all guys messed up you all sinned you all you all broke all the laws but god remembers god remembers to perform this mercy that is promised right listen to further the oath that he swore to his father in the three verses he is declaring the name of zechariah of elizabeth and of john he remembers the oath that he will be gracious hallelujah look at how god is so perfect the holy spirit even in their names how they perfectly they match up that he performed and then he says the oath which he swore to our father abraham then is the greatest prophecy to grant us to grant us say grant to grant us not that you can earn to grant us that means it's been offered it's been gifted say gifted so grant is grant what's a grant a loan is different from a grant how many of you are in finance anybody in finance financial rajesh financial okay when a government gives a loan means means what you have to pay if it, if the if a government gives a loan at 0% interest what does it mean you still have to pay the the loan but if the government gives a grant it's a gift you don't have to pay up. how many of you like grants i like grants i don't want a loan i don't want a loan i don't want a loan even at 0% interest i mean i know some guys are excited about 0% interest really there's nothing you just have to pay it up right it's a deception oh 0% interest i mean as if it's he's giving it to me free you know you have you seen that you know especially in the one of the revelation that you land up in this country is the fact that you get 0% interest right i mean it's free what's the problem we don't have to pay anything really but from next month onwards you have to start paying but today you don't have to pay anything just take it all right how many of you all have got calls congratulations you have been selected <laughs> You know how many of you know that's a loan that's coming at the end of it, right? I mean, there is a 
time sharing arrangement or there's some payment plan that is coming at the end of it. But congratulations, you have been selected to get a loan. Thank you, but no thanks. <laughs> but I like a grant. So he says, God is saying what? To grant us, say grant us, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, that means this is not the primary objective of Jesus coming. That we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, because the verse doesn't end there, right? We being delivered from the hand of our enemies, what's the purpose then? Oh, hallelujah. So we thought Jesus came to deliver us from the hand of our enemies. Yes, and he did. Because our sins were against us. But more than that, death was against us, right? And we were always afflicted. We would die. We would suffer. The toil of our hand, the ground was cursed. Everything. Even women, when they give birth, they have to give it with labor. Every area of your life, you have experienced the hand of him that hates us. Amen? You've experienced it. Amen? You've seen it. In our day-to-day life, you've seen the hand of him that has hates us. We always were crying out for a deliverer. Just like the Israelites in Egypt were crying out for a deliverer saying, Lord, how much, how long will you not deliver me? How long should I work without having enough leftover? How long should I pray for my children with the sickness? How long for the lack of wisdom in, my, in this area? How long do I make foolish mistakes? What are these manifestations of? This is the manifestations of the hand of the enemy in our life. Yes or no? Because God never created that. That was not his plan. When he made everything was perfect. There was full as, as, as more as the eye can see. There was productivity everywhere. Fruits up and down. The land flowing with milk and honey. That's the area that God has blessed us with. In fact, God didn't man, man, God did not want man to even take credit for anything. He said, I will make man the last after I have finished making everything. That because he will start by resting. So he, therefore he made man on the sixth day. Because on the next day, what did he do? He rested. What are you going to do working when God himself is resting? Because he said, it's all finished. Come into my house and eat. You, I don't want you to work for it. I don't want to struggle for it. Because he's bringing us. That's how he started. But the enemy came. Right? We know the story. Changed. And his hand was against us all the time. But yet the Bible says out here that, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him. Might serve him. Him is God. Might serve him. How? Without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Have we thought about this? That God's primary plan of sending Jesus into the world is that we can go back. We can go back to serving him. Without? Say without fear. Say without fear. Without fear. That's God's greatest desire. Because what was wrought in the Garden of Eden was fellowship with God. <coughs> Sin was just a means to rob, to destroy the end. The end was more important. What happened? Who got separated from God? Man. Remember who was afraid of God? Was God afraid of man? No. Remember he said, I am afraid because I am naked. 
because I ate of the fruit. You see the difference? And God still came seeking out for man, wanting to have fellowship with him. See, the pro we have a wrong understanding of Genesis as if God hated man in the garden because of what he did. In fact, God did not even bring up his sin. Who brought up their sin? They brought it up. They said, we are afraid. And God said, who told you that you are naked? God did not even tell them that they were naked. Because God had already provided a provision to cover them in Christ Jesus. But they, so how much ever God would tell man that no, don't worry, I love you. Man would not believe it. And man always felt that he was naked and he was not covered. So man separated himself from this loving father, say father. And ran away from this father God and said, I cannot serve him because he's a consuming fire. He's very demanding. He does not have the best of mind in mind. See, that's how the, the devil started. He doesn't want you to eat this fruit because he knows that you will be like him. That means he doesn't love you enough to make you, to give you all the best. He immediately, sin originated, even before sin originated, the devil made man distrust God's unconditional love for him. And he lost the sense of God's love. And see, God says, I want them to go back to serving me without fear. Without fear. In righteousness and holiness. Now that's a challenge, right? How? Because if you are not righteous, you cannot serve God. Because you are always going to get condemned before this Father God. You will always say, and God says, I have to get you to be completely righteous, perfect, and blameless. Look at the two words. Holiness and Righteousness all the days of our life, not temporarily. Say all the days. All the days. Oh wow, it's all the days. All the days. You know, God wants you to be righteous all the days. He is fed up of righteousness that is temporary. Because that will grow God of the fellowship that He so eagerly loves you. He says, I want you to serve me without fear. But you can only serve me without fear when you are assured of your righteousness and holiness all the days of your life. You get the make sense? Not condemned today, tomorrow. He's done with this short-term righteousness. Say everlasting righteousness. All the days. How does Psalms 23 say? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That you know, how many of you know Psalms 23 promise happened after Psalms 22? And how many of you have read Psalms 22? You have read Psalms 22? Psalms 22 talks about the Messiah crying out on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because of what Jesus did in Psalms 22, we can confess Psalms 23. That's why it starts by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Wow. Because in Psalms 22, he said, strike the shepherd. The shepherd is going to be smitten and the sheep are scattered. And suddenly in Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down. This means you are not supposed to even work because there is a prophecy. In Jeremiah or Ezekiel, I don't get it. It says, don't tread the water in which you are lying. Try to work it out. Let it be still. Don't tread with your efforts the water. 
He said, you shall leave me beside still waters. We always wonder why still, because God doesn't want you to muddy that water. Just enjoy the water. Lie down, enjoy the water. He, my rod, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff is not for you, because the rod and staff is against his enemies. And he says, they are protected against them. He keeps them. And he says, surely goodness, because of Psalms 22, surely goodness, all the days. Say all the days. All the days. Okay, so then he says, you shall serve me without fear all the days in holiness and righteousness. Let me, let me clarify one thing, because there's so much stuff to talk about, but let me, let me get into it. Because this is the heart. If you don't get this as Christmas, you will think that God has just sent Jesus to save us from our sins. But hold it. Being delivered is just one part of the story. That is not even the main objective. The main objective is being delivered that God can, you can serve God without fear. In holiness and righteousness. I call it righteousness. I mean, we have, gone, we have taken so many messages about righteousness. I think righteousness should be oozing out from your, all parts of your body, right? I mean, you should be believing righteousness, right? You should believe that your righteousness is not dependent on your works, but your righteousness is depending on the grant that has been given. Amen? It has been granted to you that you will live righteous and holy, right? But let's, let's clarify this misunderstanding of holiness. We always think holiness means sinless, not sinning. How many of you think holiness means not sinning? Okay, holiness means really the Hebrew word for holiness is separation. Say separation. Separation. It doesn't mean not sinning. It means sanctification. Same word. Kodesh. Kodesh means there are vessels in the temple. Some are for holy use. Some are for unholy use. Who decides that? Because there's a separation. That means you will not take the vessels that are meant for holy use for regular use. It just means separation. That's all. It just means separation. So he says, so if he's already said that you would serve God in righteousness, why does he have to double add a word holiness if the same word is the meaning? No. Holiness means separated. Separated from what? Separated from all the evil in this world. That means what the world will suffer, you don't have to suffer. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 17, he said, for their sake, O oh Lord, I sanctify myself so that they will be sanctified. You see the word? Same word. He, God, Jesus said, for their sake, I will sanctify myself. Jesus never sinned. So why does he have to sanctify himself? Jesus never sinned, right? So why does he have to sanctify himself if he's already never sinned? What he's saying is, I'm going to separate myself. And he's talking about his resurrection. Why? Because if Jesus is resurrected about every name, about every principality, about every power, so are you in Christ Jesus. You see? Because if he is resurrected, you are resurrected. If he died, you die, right? Right? How many of you believe because he died, you die? That is gospel. That is the gospel. If you don't believe that he died your death, you then cannot believe that he his resurrection is your resurrection. Because he was always alive. He came to die your death. And if God, Jesus, God would have not raised Jesus up, it would have always reminded you that your sins are more than the punishment. Because only then will be the contract papers be torn apart of your lien against you. The resurrection was a tearing apart of the lien papers against you. When God raised Jesus from the dead, you are saying, 
God was telling to you and I, paid up, full, satisfied, deal complete. And now he separated far above every principality and power. Sanctified. He separated. That is the reason Jesus said, it is for your advantage that I am going away. Because in me going away and being separated, you are separated from evil. And Jesus said in John chapter 17 that you are going to be separated from all evil. It's not going to affect you. It's not going to touch you. Because God has it. And so that kingdom is... You have to either believe it or you don't believe it. It's granted. Say granted. See, it's all linked to this word granted. So you are granted, say number one, to be delivered from the hand of your enemies. Number one. Number two, to serve him. Number three, without fear in holiness and righteousness. How long? How long? How long? Not until your next sin. Not until your next good deed. Not until your... How long? All the days of your life. Can you believe this was not available for Israel? Let me show you from Bible. Are you ready to see this? Are you ready to see this? This whole picture of being called out to be served. Okay. I want you to go to the book of Exodus. This is so powerful because I, I, we, we have to look at that. Okay. Look, go to the book of book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4 verse 22. Now God is telling to Moses. He's saying you shall go to Pharaoh and say this. Right? What did, what did God say to Pharaoh? Just, just out of memory. What is God telling what, what should we, what do we? What do you go to go and tell Pharaoh? Let my people go. How many of you have heard that? Okay. How many of you have heard that? But is that all that he said? Let my people go and what? Let's read it. Let's read it. Exodus chapter 4 verse 22. Thus you shall say to Pharaoh. This is the picture of us against our enemy. Thus says the Lord. Israel is my son. Israel is my son. My firstborn. So I say to you. Let my son go. Wow. Look at the person. Look at, the, look at the emphasis. Let my son go. This is the father in heaven crying out. Saying, let my son go. Wow, look at, look, do you see this? This is the God crying out from the garden of Eden. He's talking to his enemy, that serpent that has held you bondage for six, how many years? I don't know, 2,000 years since Jesus came. For 4,000 years, he's telling the enemy, let my son go. Which son? Jesus was never under the power of the enemy. He's, then who's to, who was he talking about? Who is he talking about? Israel. Or he's talking about you and I. He says, let my son go. Israel is my firstborn. Let my son go. Do you see the anointing? When God says, let my son go. Man, it's not a voice of man. It's a voice of God. He says, thus says the Lord. He's saying to Pharaoh. Let my son go because my son is my firstborn. You know, God has never changed his opinion about you and I, irrespective of when you sin. You know, Israel at this point of time was completely sinning. They were building golden calf. I mean, they were, they, they were, they were, they were worshipping idols in Israel, in Egypt. They were, they were as evil as Egyptians. But yet, God did 
not denounce them. He said, Israel is my firstborn. Let my son go. But that isn't where it stops. Read it further. Verse 22. Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may, that he may serve me. Oh, how I want my son to be back with me. We think of God's, see the serving here, the serving as a servant or serving as a son? How many of you think it's serving as a servant? How many of you think it's serving as a son? Because he says, let my son go, let him serve me. You see the prodigal son story where he had two sons and one wanted to serve him as a servant but the other one wanted to serve him as a son. The father ultimately came to the elder son who wanted to serve him as a servant because he said, I have served you. Look at the same word, same word. I have served you all these many years. In fact, he did not even say the word father. In fact, the other day when I was having my quiet time, I told Milo, I said, I've never seen this in that passage. The elder son never called his father, father. Go back and check it. Never called his father, father. In fact, to the extent he told his father, this your son. If he does not consider his other son his brother, why? Because he never considered his father a father. And, said, and because he did not consider him as a father, his picture of this God, this father, is of a master and a servant. And he said, I have served you all these many years, but you never gave me even a goat. And then the father opened his revelation to him. And he said, my son, look, hold it. The son wouldn't call him a father, but the father would not renounce his sonship. Did you know when he divided the inheritance, he divided it to both of them? Go back and read it. It was not only to the younger son. He gave it to the older son also, the Bible says. And then he says, my son, you have been with me all this. All that I have is yours. In which relationship does all that I have is yours happen? In which relationship? Father, son. I mean, you may have a very disobedient son in your house and a very obedient father and daughter. When you die, who do you leave your inheritance to? To the dog, obedient and faithful, or to your disobedient son? Disobedient son. Why? Because the relationship of a father and son is not dependent on the merits of the son. It's by inheritance. It's by a grant. You got the thing? So he said, let them, let him serve me. I want to bless him. You see, God wants to deliver you out of your hand of your enemy so that you shall serve him. That's his objective. So we have been delivered. But I'm enjoying this fellowship with this God who is a father God. Is this your Christmas? Is this Christmas about our father? Or is it about just about the son who delivered you out of your hand of your enemy? Are you just stuck and out of Israel, out of Egypt, but never made it to the promised land? Just think about it. It's so important that God wanted man to Israel to serve him. That's his objective. Not about being delivered out of Egypt. He repeated this thing to Pharaoh how many times? Do you know? Do you know how many times? Seven times. 
It will blow your mind. I want you to go quickly, quickly, and I want you to see this. Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. Thus says the thus the Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Okay, let's read Exodus chapter 8, verse 20. And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Number, number 4, Exodus chapter 9 verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve him. Exodus chapter 9 verse 13. The Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. Exodus chapter 9 verse 13, we finished it. And finally, the seventh time, Exodus chapter 10 verse 3. Look at the change in the words. Exodus chapter 3. I want to, why am I repeating it? Because it's so important for God. His deliverance out of Egypt is not for the sake of just deliverance. It's for the sake that man shall serve him as a son. Shall serve him as a son. That's the objective. And then look at the verse. Exodus chapter 10 verse 3. So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? That's the last. Look at it. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And now I want you to go to read Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. Now this is, let me, let me set this stage for you. Now Moses, how many of you know Moses was the deliverer that God raised up to get them out of Egypt? Right? That brings you to a very interesting story. Look at the parallels in history. Every time God wanted to deliver somebody, he started by birthing a child. Like when, when the world was getting wicked and wicked and wicked, God sent Noah. And the baby was named Rest. And says, let his name be Rest, Noah, so he will comfort him, us from the work and the toil of our hands because the ground is cursed. Because the, the ground was cursed after the curse and God said, I will send you a deliverer to deliver you out of this evil. Noah was born 600 years later, the flood came. So God prepared a deliverer 600 years before. So long before your trouble, God has already provided you the ark. It's not an overnight process. 600 years, God waited. He knew wickedness is going to increase. But a son named Noah has appeared. Great. When Israel was in bondage, God raised up a deliverer, Moses. But Moses was delivered, was raised up with the Pharaoh's household as a deliverer for Israelites. But how many years later of his birth did his deliverance come? How many years later? How many years? 80 years. 40 plus 40. Only after the 80th year, God delivered Israel. Right? Now, God delivered Israel after 80 years. But Moses was born 80 years before God raised a son. Just like God raised up Jesus. He had already planned. 
But look at it. So Numbers 14, they break. So how many of you agree Moses brought Israel out of Egypt? Did? So the first part is over. Out of the hand of those who hate him. Correct? Done. Right? So what is missing? What is missing? What is missing? Serving him as a? As a son. Right? So we, only half the part is done. Right? They came out. They came out. But could they go in? So they brought, God brought them into this promised land to give them flowing with milk and honey because now he wants to have a relationship based on total love. Want to bless them like the garden of Eden because that's how he said the land. Listen to this. He is restoring the garden of Eden here. He's telling to Israelite, I'm going to bring you into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. It is not like the land in which from which you came, in which you had to till the land, you had to water it, you had to walk on it. But it brings of the dew of heaven. It is like the garden of Eden. Where you get supply and you will inherit houses that you didn't build. So he's bringing back to this relationship or I want to have a relationship as a father has with a son. Amen? So he, they are at the entrance of this promised land of a relationship where he would serve God without fear. Right? Guess what? They wouldn't get it. They could not go in. Remember you know the story, right? They grumbled. They were afraid. They saw the Amalekites. And look at what he says. I want you to go to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. And Numbers chapter 14 verse 11. Now listen to this. Now the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? Now they just, they refuse to go inside. And God said, How long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs which I performed among them? I will strike them with pestilences and disinherit them. I will make of you a great nation. And the Lord, and then Moses said to the Lord, listen to what Moses said to the Lord. Hallelujah. He said, look, look at this. This is, this is so tough. Look at, look at the problem that Moses had as a deliverer. Every deliverer in history had this problem. They could get them out, but they could not get them in. All through history, they could get them out, but they couldn't get them in. What happened after Noah rescued them from the wickedness? They landed and they multiplied. And what came out? Giants were there before. Thank you, Jota. But there were giants later also. That's she's right. The Tower of Babel. So what happened? They came out, but they couldn't go in. So Israel came out of Egypt, but they couldn't go in. And look at what Moses is telling God. He said, God says, I'm going to just destroy these guys, and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. As if that is going to solve the problem. Because they can never get in because I think the primary problem is solved. As they, can, they have to recognize this God and the Father and the Father's relationship is just that. So he says, and look at what Moses says. Listen. Then the Egyptians will hear this. For they will say, Your might, by your might, you brought these people up from among them. And they will tell to the inhabitants of the land, They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face. Your cloud stands above them, and you go before them. Who? Who? This is so powerful. God, and Moses is telling God, 
When God says glory, he's talking about good opinion. He's talking about tender lovingness and compassion. That is why you remember in Exodus when Moses told to God, God, show me your glory. What did God do? What did he say? He said, God, show me your glory. What did he do? Do you know that passage? That God said, Moses said to God, God, show me your glory. And God said, I will pass before you and declare my name. The Lord God, compassionate and long-suffering and merciful. See, when God, when Moses wanted to see the glory of God, God showed him his loving kindness and mercy. You see, man had forgotten that this Father God is a loving God and a tender-hearted God, a loving kindness God. And he says, that is my glory. That is my glory. That's my glory. That's my glory. That's my glory. If you do not see that God in heaven is your father who loves you and forgives you and he says the whole earth will see that I'm a good father. When will, he, when will they see? When will the whole world see that God in above is a good father? One day when his son will die on the cross naked when this good father would even forsake his only begotten son then the world will know truly that this father is a good father. This father does not keep his best from me. Remember in the Garden of Eden, Satan told uh, man, he does not want you to, you to be like him, me, him. Therefore he wants to keep you from the tree of life. Because he doesn't want you to. But on the cross, God proved it wrong. He showed him, if I can give my son, won't I give you the tree of life? Because by, by no other measure could man be convinced that this God is a good God. Because in the Garden of Eden, man had everything. I mean, he would say, oh, if, if only you give me a, the, uh, 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 if only you give me a beautiful pineapple from Philippines, then I will believe that you are a good God. But he already had it. It was already given to it. Or if only if you give me uh, more trees, but he already had it. All the whole earth was under domain. If only you give me all the animals. He already had it. He already had it. What could God give more to man in the garden of Eden to prove his love? There was nothing. Until his son hung on the cross. At that time, they could say, truly, this God loves us more than he loves his son. Because he loved him. He gave up himself on. Truly, he is our father. Truly, he is our father. You see, that was restored. That without fear. See, without fear. Till then, man was always afraid. How do I please this God? How do I please this God? How, how, how much fasting? How much prayer? How much reading? What? I mean, everything. I mean, everything is essential, good. But God says, hold it. I want you to just come and fellowship with me as son. I will grant it to you as a father. I want you to go to John chapter 1. Have you heard of the Christmas story in John chapter 1? You know there's a Christmas story in John chapter 1? John chapter 1. Let's go quickly John chapter 1 and we close with 10. John chapter 1. 
This is powerful. This is so powerful. John chapter 1, verse 14. I want you to read from verse 14 18, the Christmas story. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. And the, look at it, beheld His glory. When Jesus was on the earth, there was no light coming out of Him. But they beheld His glory. That means they saw how loving, kind He was. He was loving and merciful. They beheld His glory. Glory. Loving and kindness. He would not reject anybody. The prostitutes, the tax collector, anybody. He was compassionate. Even when James and John wanted to bring fire down on the Samaritans, He said, I didn't come. Destroyed. I came to save. They beheld His glory. Look at that. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And he's clarifying his glory again. Full of grace and truth. See, the truth that there is the truth of love and merciful. Again, not of the law. Then John bore witness. Okay, keep reading. And verse 16. Of his fullness we have received grace for grace. And then he clarifies. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. See, the law came through Moses, but the law could not take them into the promised land. The law could get them out of the hand of the enemy. The, that covenant could get them out of the hand of the enemy. But really not. Because the covenant came after they, they are already... God still brought them out of Egypt through His mercy. But they wanted a covenant of law. God gave it. And then they couldn't get it. Right? But He says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. Now look at the verse... 18. This is Christmas. This is Christmas. No one has seen God at any time. Take no one. No one has seen God. No one. Not, not Buddha, not Muhammad. Nobody has seen God. Nobody. Not even in a vision. Nobody has seen God. Nobody has seen God. Nobody. Even Jesus says, No one has seen God. No one has seen God. Say no one. No one. No one has seen God. No one has seen God. Let me repeat once again. No one has seen God. No one has seen God. Look at that. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared. See what God, what God wanted to tell man on how loving and kind He was, God declared it about Himself only through Jesus Christ. Only Jesus came and told how good this father is. That is why Jesus said, go back to John chapter 17. Go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Look at this. John chapter 17. Look at this verse, that prayer that Jesus had with his father God. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. Look at that word. That the son may also glorify you. Okay? Keep reading. This is eternal life, that you may, they may know you. See, we always think eternal life is knowing Jesus. But Jesus' primary objective was to declare the Father. That they may know you. They may know you as a good father. They may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, it was not Jesus' plan to come. In fact, at the, in Gethsemane, he cried out, Father, Father, if only you would win. 
if this cup would pass away. Hey, whose plan was it to, to be sent into the world? Whose plan? The Father God's plan. It's Father's love for you that sent Jesus. He did the performing of the mercy. But it's the Father's love for you that God, Jesus wanted to He says, you got it all wrong. I, you think I am compassionate? I am compassionate, yes. But it is because the Father is compassionate. He is the one. I want to show. You get this? He said that they may know you. That you don't have to be served without fear. That they may know you. The only true God. Jesus Christ, whom you serve. And then he says, verse 4. Look at this. Look at this. In John chapter 17. I have glorified you on the earth. That is, I have changed the opinion of God in the world. For the first time, man now knows that God in heaven is a good God. Because I have showed it. That is why every time Jesus said, the words that I do, I don't, I don't do of my own. He was always wanting to give the credit to the Father. He said, it's not you. It's the Father who loves you who does the work. He's trying to change the opinion of his Father. You know, how many of you think that Jesus is loving? How many of you know that the Father is loving? And Jesus said, you know, I have glorified you. You had such a bad reputation on the earth. This is Jesus talking to his father directly, one on one. He said, Lord, father. This is his father. I have glorified you on the earth. And I have finished the work that you have given me to do. Now this is before crucifixion. How many can agree this was Jesus before he died? John chapter 17, before Jesus died, rose again. But yet Jesus says, I have finished the work. Hold it! For the first time, a deliverer is saying, I have finished the work. Moses couldn't say that. Noah couldn't say that. Elijah couldn't say that. David couldn't say that. Aaron the priest couldn't say that. Michael the archangel couldn't say that. Daniel the righteous couldn't say that. Nobody could say that. Then I have finished the work. I am screaming. Father. No more serving this God with fear. 
righteousness and holiness all the days of your life. He wants to restore Garden of Eden back. And you and I have got this privilege. We think that you'll just save us from our sin, just from our uh, evil. And... No, no, no. But it's a great purpose. Seven times. The game is still a son. Not a servant, a son. Look at Read this. And now, O Father, glorify me together with the glory which you have. And just to clarify, this glory is not light and honor and power. It's not that glory. Is that what you're so powerful? Look at this. I want you to jump to verse 22. For, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them. Hold it. I never got supernatural brightness. No. But Jesus says, I have given that glory to you. What glory is it? If it is the same glory, what glory? Of loving father and son relationship. If he is restored it, did he restore it? Did he restore it? Right? So he restored it. He gave it to you. What glory? That I can now call God Abba Father. That's glory, right? He's not going to be, like, remember when God, God said, Moses said, show me the glory. What did God show? I'm loving kindness. So now he says, I am, my father is going to be loving kindness and merciful to you just as he was loving kindness as he was a son. So he's restored the sonship. Say sonship. He's restored sonship. He says, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one as we are one. Keep reading. That I may be in them, you mean that they may be perfect in one and the world may know that you have sent me and you have loved them as you have loved me. How did God love Jesus as a son? As the only begotten son. How is this love now with us? Because God loves us as the only begotten son. So we have received that glory. We have received that relationship. And look at how he ends. Verse 26. Look at verse 26. Verse 25. Look at the same words. Oh righteous father, the world has not known you. Absolutely true. The world doesn't know this loving father. See, here Jesus is saying this. Isn't it? I'm not, not me saying it. What is Jesus saying? Verse 24. Oh, righteous Father. Again, he calls him Father. Jesus always calls his Father. He says, you don't know how long. In fact, he told even the Jews who did not even believe him. Tell you all, Abba Father. Cry out to him, Abba Father. Won't he give you good gifts? I know you cannot keep the law and come through me perfectly. But call him Abba Father. Law can the door will be open to you. And he said, you cannot come in perfect. But why don't you cry Abba Father? God will prepare a Father will prepare a door. If he gives you good, if you ask for a bread, will he give you a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? How much more the Father in heaven will give the Holy Spirit? Wow, Holy Spirit? Just by asking? Yes, ask him. He's your Father. Why? Because I am going to be your death. Ask him. He's a good Father. He's constantly bringing this whole business of, I've declared your name as a Father. Abba, Father, revelation. I want you to get this revelation this Christmas of Abba Father. Not just being saved from your enemies, but to the relationship as Abba Father. I tell you, you should be done with this condemnation in your life. Done! 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 Done with condemnation. Come back. I mean, Jesus, Father God hates condemnation in your life. He wants you to serve Him without fear and holiness and righteousness all the days of life. And look at how He says, Oh, righteous Father. Look at, look at the plea of this Jesus. He says, oh, righteous father. I mean, how many times has Jesus used the word oh with his father? 
He couldn't call it servant. The bondage of being a servant. Though he was a son. But the moment you have the revelation of sonship, guess what? The fat will come. Because in his house there is always food. There is no scarcity. Because when there was a famine in the land, what did the younger son say? In my father's house there is food enough to? No. No. There is food enough to? It, no. Go back and read. In my father's house there is food enough to? See? Picture of our father. Food enough to? Spare! There is so much abundance in this father God's house. See? Don't be a picture of servant row. Enough. So, master's house, huh? You have to be very careful with his goods. You have to be very good steward for everything. That he... Yes, you have to be good steward, but relax. Remember when the disciple, when he forgot to take the 12 baskets and they got into the boat with just one loaf. And now they are so afraid of this Jesus because now they are afraid that Jesus is going to rebuke them on stewardship and discipleship and uh, uh, forgetfulness and stupidity. They were so afraid of Jesus. And they were bargaining among themselves. He's talking about bread. We've forgotten bread. There were 12 baskets. See, we are not being good stewards. We forgot the bread. And Jesus relaxed. After some time, he said, what? What's going on there? He says, and he realized what they were, they were worried about. They forgot about the bread. God was good. God provided for them, but they forgot to take the baskets. And they just had one loaf. And Jesus said, hold it, hold it, hold it. Then you had 4,000 people. And you had less. How many have left over? When you had 5,000 and you had even less, how much you had left over? So now if you have just one loaf, don't you think I will have more left over? See, instead of rebuking them on a servant revelation of being good stewards, he, he rebuked them for why do you think that I'm a good father? Yeah, I don't count your faults against you. I just multiply the one that you have and you will have more left over because it will glorify me that I am a good father. That is why the guy who came in the eleventh hour got as much as he came in the first hour. Because the guy in the eleventh hour came with the revelation of? Revelation of? Not as a master servant. Who comes in the eleventh hour and gets the whole wages of the whole thing? Except if he knows the? Hey, I'll just come, relax, last minute, like Josh would do. Daddy, you just do all the things. I'm not I said, Josh can come and help me. No, 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 you can do that. You can do all things. <laughs> what? But I don't throw him out. I just go up and do the whole things. Because <laughs> I'm the father. I'm saying this. End 2015 with the revelation of God is the Abba Father. Because that's the objective. Zechariah's prophecy that having been delivered from the hand of the enemy, that they, that it's granted, right? It's a gift. It's granted. It's already granted. All that I have is yours. It's granted that they may serve Him without fear and righteousness and holiness. Hallelujah. How many of you like this one? Abba Father is a good Father, right? No more. Don't call Him God, God, Elohim, and don't know. Master. I, I always, I'm always like tempted to say God, Master. God said, why do you call me Master all the time? Because master means so, right? Call me Abba. Abba, daddy. Call me daddy. Call me Abba. I want to fellowship with you. I want to love you. I want to just want to embrace you. I want to just bless you. See, Jesus is what they means. Jesus
the minutes to restoring that relationship. So while Christmas is about Jesus, but it is more than that. It's about Abba Father. This Christmas. Do you see that relation? I have glorified you on the earth. God is good? God is good. Let's come. Let's, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. I'm sorry I took a little time, but I think it's worth it, right? And there's so much more verses, but we jumped all that, but God is a good God. Praise God.